0: Welcome to the Evolution of Parenting. I'm Yorona, an Advanced Certified Life Coach, Certified Speaker Coach, International Speaker, and more. But most importantly for me, I'm a mother. With 17 years in the fields and studies of early childhood development, psychology, and coaching, I've come to the realization that the role of parenting never stops, but it does change. In fact, it has to change. In Season 1, we explored some foundational themes of parenting. For season two, we'll be exploring various topics with special guests who can delve into these subject matters. From there, we'll dive into understanding the impact around the choices we make as parents, regarding these particular subjects and issues, and what we're enabling or disabling in our children. I hope to tie in some of the foundational themes from season one to highlight a few ways parents can find more proactive approaches to their parenting styles. Remember, parents are creating a part of the future world, and it's time to think about the legacy we're leaving behind and the ripple effects it will have. So let's dive in with our guest for today's episode. Welcome, Susie Beggin. I hope I said your last name correctly. If I didn't, please correct me. And while you correct me, tell our audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. It's not an easy name to pronounce. It's actually an Italian background, but so it's uh, pronounced Beguine. So not exactly how it's spelled, but (laughs) yeah. So my name is Susie Beguin. (laughs) Thanks, Susie Um, Yes. (laughs) And uh, I'm an early childhood educator. I'm a daycare owner. I own three daycares. And uh, I am a mom as well. I'm the mom of two children um, who are teens, young adults now. Uh, So yeah, I've been through a lot of years of parenting and educating children. And that's kind of my passion.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what our today's subject matter is centered around, educating our children and what that looks like from a traditional to a non-traditional perspective, right? When we think primarily about education, we think of a school system. And the truth is that learning is more about an objective, and education systems are the tools we use to learn, right? So I like to think about it like, from all sides of the fence to make sure I'm getting the entire nuanced perspective of education, especially given how much education has changed over the last number of years. You know, we used to, we we came from a place where education was, let's go, let's dial way back for a moment. Education was for the hierarchy only, right? It was, it was originally for them. Uh, And if you were anywhere below that, it was all about like labor, right? Then things changed and we created an educational structure and we dove into that, I believe, with originally great intentions, but not enough tools on how to create a curriculum and a system designed for a multitude of people who learn differently. So Susie, I would love your take on it start from anywhere you want to but i'm wondering and curious about your idea about the fact that you know we have an education system and we have a learning environment and how do those things work together and how do they maybe clash at times
1: sure you know i can go way back and say that parents are actually the first educators um you know sometimes you know we question you know who is really educating our children Is it, you know, as parents, should we be just relegating this duty to outside institutions? Um, In the early years, it could be daycares. In the later years, it's the school system. Um, and, And what is our role as parents in education? And I would say parents have a big role to play in education. So it's not just the institutions we need to talk about. It's, you know, when we're talking about learning, it's coming from all angles. You know, what are parents contributing? What are the institutions contributing? And they all need to work in sync um, and collaborating with each other to create that holistic approach to learning, right? So it's not just, you know, you learn only in school or only in daycare. It's everywhere. You learn from from every angle. And like you said, in the in the old days, I mean, even before there were schools, you know, you would learn from your parents. That's how you learned about the world and how to live in it and so now we've created institutions that help you know this process along you know as we've become more specialized in what we do but i still i think still there's a role for everyone to play still you know it's yeah that that's where that's where i start from you know i start with well you know how do we how do we as parents educate our children even in the early years and that's kind of my specialty as I come from the early years right so yes. under six years old what is the best way that children learn well children in my opinion learn through play yeah. and so how do we as parents engage with children in a way that's meaningful and educational and effective
0: yeah
1: uh, you know, I have lots to say about that. I don't know where I you want to go that. from there.
0: <laughs> I love, I love, love, love that. Cause that's my, that's my jam. That's my jam early childhood. You know, that's where I came from. It's where I really, really first realized the wealth of knowledge and learning that goes untouched in those early years. Because here's, here's. Uh, let's broaden this perspective out. A lot of parents, when they bring home an infant, They think, okay, my job is to keep this thing alive. (laughs) Okay, I don't want to call it a thing, but the truth is, it's like, okay, I got to keep it breathing, uh, sleeping, eating, you know, change, clean, so on. We don't really think about the learning that happens from the moment of birth. And and some people will argue with you from prior to birth, right? Um, And because I'm a believer of all things as a possibility and I hold nothing to definitive language... I think that it's really important to stress that parents need to really get behind the understanding that there is a wealth of learning and brain development that happens in the first years that we are missing the boat on. And a huge piece of the reason for that is because we never treated the system that we never, we parent by default. You know, we don't actively engage in what's happening in my child's development unless there's a developmental issue then we become aware otherwise we think oh well just you know parent the way my parents parented me or i'll parent in the opposite way right and then there are some people who like to read books but they don't know how to translate the book of what they're learning into realistic life strategies that work for them as an individual person to be able to work with their child who's an individual person. And there's so much happening in those first years that we miss a lot of the learning that can take place there. We know, you and I know this as early educators, that um, the social emotional learning that happens in the first core years from birth to five are pivotal in a child's social emotional development, intelligence and growth. So yeah, go for it. Tell me what you were gonna say.
1: Well, I was just going to say that, yes, I, I do agree with you. Uh, we parent by default. you know. I'm an adoptive parent, actually, so I was like an instant parent. I didn't really have a lot of preparation time. And I know that from my own experience, I was kind of thrown into something, not really knowing what I was doing. And so, you know, I was of the mindset that I'm, you know, I'm education focused, I'm a teacher at heart. So I I went back to school, I got, you know, I learned about child development and all that. But parents really don't understand in general, I'm, I'm making generalizations here, but we don't really understand the de- developmental stages of children, what they should be learning, when they should be learning it, how they should be learning it and so yeah there's there's a big disconnect there in the early years um you know if if you're trying your best of course everyone has good intentions but you don't know what you don't know and so yes there's opportunities lost and you know there's all kinds of studies out there that show that you know children who have that positive good start uh in the early years through you know whether it's you know someone who knows the system knows how to access services and give children what they need they're they definitely fare better in the long run in an yeah. academic setting or otherwise just in life you know so yeah. for sure um there's definitely opportunities lost but that doesn't mean that we can't learn those things and we can't change right we can yes uh, and you know i'm a bit that's why i'm here on this show today <laughs> you I know am i'm so a big proponent of there. early learning <laughs>
0: I'm so glad you went there because both of us are very much in sync with that. We both understand the, the pivotal importance of early learning, but we also understand that at any point along the stage of your child's life, even if they're a young adult, you can change. We have that potential. People have the potential to change. In fact, life is made up of two things, change and unfortunately, death you know, and those are the only two guarantees in life. Everything else is up for grabs, you know? So I think it's really important to get parents to dispel the myth that it's like you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know, or like dispel the myth that, well, it's too late. My kid's already in college. What am I going to do? Okay. If you want to burden yourself with that idea that you can't make a change for yourself then you're right you're never going to make a change for yourself but there's always an ability to change even if it doesn't necessarily um, change your child it can change you and I promise and this because I've seen it as both a coach and in my field in all in, in all aspects of life I have seen what happens when people change themselves the people around them are most affected so if you change the way you interact with your child whether they're an infant or a young adult i promise you it will affect the way they interact with you as well and that as a result will affect the way they interact in the world and sometimes it's a subtle shift sometimes it's a minor shift but hey progress is progress whether it's a minute progress or a maximized progress it's progress and change And that's what we're effectively trying to say. We're not trying to say change yourself significantly, become a different person. We're saying learn how to adapt. And this is where the learning part comes in, right? Because I believe that education, the healthiest education is in the learning, in the way we learn. But learn what works for you for what you want to see moving forward. If you're trying to have a goal to be more, less judgmental, Of your child's choices learn how to take steps to become less judgmental right and it does it does work it does but we have to be willing to want to do it and then we have to dig in so yeah Well, i went way out there with the learning part but that's that's what i see because you you touched on that that it's like you know sometimes we do think it's it's oh it's too little too late but it's it's never
1: It's never too late. I agree with you on that. But, you know, if you do have a young child and if you are in those formative early years, then you need to know how important that is and and what is the learning style of young children. And and even, I think, well beyond young children, but I think in general, human beings, what is our learning style? And it's really, I believe, uh, you know, you had an episode way back where you talked about curiosity and exploration. And I really, you know, agree with you and a lot that you said there and i'll just recap a little bit is that i really do believe we all learn through exploration and inquiry we all learn by exploring the world exploring you know our day-to-day activities whatever it is that we're doing we're exploring yeah. or finding new ways to do things or old ways to do things that we've changed into new ways to do things And we're doing that all through inquiry, asking questions. Can I do this better? Can I do this differently? What worked last time? Um, How is it going to be different this time? And that is the learning process from birth until death is all about exploration and inquiry, continuing to explore, continue to ask questions. And, and, And I think any good learning system needs to incorporate those aspects of exploration and inquiry.
0: Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I really want to tie that in there. Um, And I also talk about like curiosity because curiosity is like the wonder about curiosity is that you lean in without expectation or judgment. So when you look at something, yeah, yeah, (laughs) like when you're looking, when you're looking at a a bug and you're just looking at it because you're inspecting like, Oh, how does this how does it move on these legs? And like, what what is the design of this? You're leaning into it with curiosity. You're not like prejudging it, you know? Maybe you'll prejudge a cockroach, but, but also again, that's a prejudgment, right? But if somebody is an entomologist, they're going to look at a cock- cockroach with curiosity. So, and I, I apologize in advance for anybody I'm grossing out right now, but you know, I'm not gonna lean into a cockroach with curiosity, <laughs> but there are people out there who will. And so what you said, though, was so important. And I think it's a huge lack in our education systems. And that is that everybody learns differently. And as a result, it's really hard to create a system that incorporates everyone's learning styles. But they're trying. There are There is a lot more evidence that they're trying. And I think that we can press forward with that in a way that again is not judgmental of the system that was created, but rather let's look at the system and see where its weaknesses are and where its strengths are and do our best to minimize the weaknesses and maximize the strengths. And one of the best ways we can do that is, you know, you take a classroom and you've got one teacher with 25 students, it's really hard for them to figure out every single child's individualized learning way, you know, learning experience and how they learn best, unless the parents are engaged in helping that information be relayed properly. And it's so functional. This is where parents can really engage. And I don't mean, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take it here for a minute. I don't mean engaging by telling the teacher, well, my son doesn't learn best by sitting down at a classroom table. My son needs to be running around all day long. (laughs) I don't mean that what I mean is helping them better understand your child's the the functional learning skills like um, is my child a kinesthetic learner is my child a visual learner are they an auditory learner you know uh, there are so many different learning styles and if we engage in figuring that out with our children we'll have a better understanding of okay so um how can we amplify my child's learning in the classroom when he's a kinesthetic learner right? So, you know, or uh, any of those matters, right? And asking those questions, like what, what would you recommend I do with my child at home that can help promote that kind of a learning in the classroom within the, within the scope of the boundaries that have to be set forth in the classroom, right? Um, We still need to follow the rules and we still need to follow certain levels of the boundaries that are, that are created, right? I can't, My kid can't just get up and run out whenever he wants to. But here, let's question this, right? One thing I noticed with my son at six, and he, when he gets really frustrated on homework, he needs a moment to calm himself before he keeps going with it. Instead of being pushed to move past it, we say, okay, do you need a five minute break? And then we're going to come back to this. And sometimes he does, you know, although it's getting easier right now. It's been wonderful. But because we didn't say, just keep going, just keep going, just keep pushing through. We saw his necessary, his need to say, I'm going to come back to this in five minutes. Okay, great. All right, five minutes is up. Let's come on back, you know. And he took that breather that he needed and he came back and he focused and he finished his homework. Um, so he was able to disengage from his frustration level and, and mac- and you know, recharge his himself to come back to it. Um, and what I've noticed is as we did that, it started to reduce the time that he actually needed to get away from the homework too. Um, and now he doesn't actually need any of that at all. When he's frustrated, he he's determined to finish it himself because we opted for that place. So I'm curious about what your thoughts are on, you know, how do we effectively optimize individualized learning in a systemic, in a, in a, system that doesn't really have optimal you know optimal what's the right word for it an optimal curriculum for that you know or even assistance when we have one teacher i think yeah
1: you know this is a difficult question because uh you know this type of change isn't going to happen overnight it's something that's going to have to be gradual But I think the first thing that we can do is start incorporating those many different kinds of learning styles into our curriculum. So, whereas we say, you know, okay, you know, your child might be a kinesthetic learner, but of course, we're not going to do kinesthetic learning all day. But can we incorporate some aspects of kinesthetic learning into our programming? Can we incorporate so that we sure that um, the auditory learner, you know, the visual learner, and the kinesthetic learner are all learning something at different points during the day in different ways. And perhaps also stretching themselves to say, okay, well, I'm not necessarily great at learning in this way, but by being exposed to it, maybe I'm also, you know, learning to learn in that way. So, you know, but I also have an easy way to learn, you know, you know, the one that comes naturally to me and then also one that I have to struggle a little bit more with, you know, which also stretches the brain and makes new connections and things like that. So I would say that, yes, we should be incorporating, and I'm a little more radical than you, I would say, you know, hey, why not have a curriculum where, you know, you do part of your day outdoors, you know, or have some of your uh, programming outside, you know, to incorporate those people who want to be in fresh air, you know, and learn better in fresh air than they would in a stuffy classroom. So, you know, can we not? incorporate, you know, schools have playgrounds, they have outdoor areas. Why can't we be flexible to incorporate different learning styles throughout the day so that everyone, and not just a small minority of the classroom, is going to benefit from that? Because I do believe that the current educational system really caters to a minority of people who can do well and, and excel right? Everyone else is pretty much either, you know, below average, or you're just struggling to maintain average. Mm -hmm. So because maybe it's not their best learning style, and they're struggling with it. So if we can incorporate those different, um, you know, learning styles into our curriculum, into our day, why Mm -hmm. not? Like, why can't we do simple things that, you know, don't require us to, you know, move locations. We don't have to go live in the forest. We don't have to move the the school to the forest, but we do have an outdoor area. So why can't we use it? You know, why can't we move around? And why can't we, you know, position the classroom a little bit differently if it means that it helps certain people in different ways? And I do believe what you said is right about parents. Parents need to be involved in this because parents know their children best. They will know, you know, my child learns best this way they know their likes, they know their dislikes, they know their temperament, you know, your own six year old better than anyone. Like you said, you knew he needed a break. But maybe a teacher wouldn't have been able to figure that out. Right. So you can as a parent share with the teacher, you know what, I've noticed that when my child is doing heavy work, he needs a break every once in a while just to recharge, maybe a five minute bathroom break, maybe a five minute water break, who knows what it is. But you know that and you can be involved to help you know because as you said a room of 25 how can you get to know everybody's individual temperaments right especially at the beginning of the year when right. they're just brand new to you right so right. you know and you're uh, only uh, with them usually for a year so right and you and, don't and have want... that much time to get to know i them. know
0: <laughs> and then you're there's yeah. grading and there's the 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 core teaching and the this and then now there's the tablets and the chromebooks and the my kindergartner got a chromebook and it's um well we won't go there just yet um but here's the, the the thing, and I want people to really hear this. The expectation put on teachers is exceeds emergency doctors at times. Because they have, you know, even emergency doctors have some downtime. But the expectation of teachers to navigate 25 kids in a classroom to try to figure it out and to get them to all listen and to get them to all behave and to get them to all sit and listen and pay attention, it's it's an unrealistic expectation and more people than ever are leaving the education system. So we're at a loss. And um, we have, we're struggling, we're really struggling. And instead of blaming the teachers, parents, um, it's really important you support the teachers. Ask them what they need to best know your child. But also be able to navigate all that. We have to be more compassionate when it comes to our expectations on our teachers because they are struggling and they are floundering, and we are putting more pressure and expectations on them than ever before. And it is really painfully obvious to me that we are crumbling our education system because of those ridiculous expectations that are absolutely. Impossible. We have to be willing to support our teachers. So when we say, you know, your child, it doesn't mean go to the teacher and say, you must do this this way for my child. No, it means how can I make this easiest on you to explain to you what my child needs, but also for you to be able to incorporate that in a way that's not putting extraneous uh, added (laughs) work on your workload, right? Um, It's with empathy and compassion that we need to do that. Otherwise, we're we're never going to get it, and we're basically going to end up in a circumstance where that COVID really showed us is unsustainable, where we crumble an education system and are forced to educate our children ourselves as parents, you know, and that's hardly impossible. That is nearly impossible um, for people who are full-time, you know, who work full-time, who you've got, you know, two parents that are trying to work full-time. It's impossible. And you know, I want to go back to something that you said before because I think this is really important too. It's all about competency. Let's let's reverse back to what you were saying about the learning styles. So, if you know that your best learning style is kinesthetic, but you're stretching to learn some of, to learn how to learn those other learning styles, right? <laughs> to figure out how to adapt to those other learning styles, that's what we call competency. There's a level of competency required to navigate life. And this is true of learning. When we are learning something, we're not going to be naturally inclined in everything across the board. We're not going to be competent in everything across the board. If I am a kinesthetic learner and I go to college and the lecturer only gives written work to me, it's going to be hard. But that doesn't mean that I can't build my competency in that. I may never reach massively high levels of expert level competency, but I need to have at least some measure of baseline competency in other areas so that I can function and progress in my life without using it as an excuse. Well, I don't learn that way, so therefore I'm not going to learn how to do this. That just cuts ourselves off at our knees. We cannot do that. We cannot do that to our children, and we cannot allow our children to do it to themselves. I see this with my son, and I will tell you, he is a bit of what I would definitely consider a perfectionist. He needs to know how to do something perfectly the first time. And if he can't, his frustration immediately skyrockets. So we've been working a lot on this, this frustration where it's coming from, and his perfection tendencies, you know, and we, uh, we do understand that you know, children are not blank slates. I will repeat this until everybody on the planet listens to me when it comes to this. People are not blank slates when they're born. They're born with certain pre-coded genetic determination traits. You know, personality, mental health, behaviors. There are just certain things that are inherent in some pe- in people, and so the environmental influence that we provide to them is is key to working with their genetic. Predispositions, but also understanding there has to be a little bit of an environmental pull to get people to better understand how to adapt, and that's where competency comes from. It's the adaptability to learn how to develop a skill. Right? I, I didn't know how to tie my shoes out of the womb. I had to be taught how to tie my shoes, and was it frustrating initially? Yes. Now we don't have shoe ties. Okay. So let's. go away from that. But everything requires competency. Like I I see this happen all the time when it comes to technology. Um, And even with me, there are levels I have of competency when it comes to technology use. And then there are parts where I'm like, I am completely clueless here and I'm going to need some help. So the other learning we can give our children is the best tool possible. Know when to ask for help instead of just falling back on, I can't do this, so I'm just not gonna, why don't we start teaching our children that the best thing they can do when they aren't competent in something, and they don't know how to do something is to ask for help.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And and in order to build that skill, I think we have to let children fail, we have to let children make mistakes. And we have to, uh, and and what's going to come from that is that, our mindset is that our children are competent and capable and we're going to let them do something without us intervening right so if we're not intervening and we're letting them do something because we think they're competent and capable then they will make mistakes right it's you know all of us we all make mistakes that's how we learn but we have to let them happen we have to let those mistakes happen because if we don't then if we try to fix it before the mistake comes then they don't learn competency because they don't learn that when to ask for help because they didn't have to ask. You jumped in before they had to ask, right? So you have to kind of maybe let go a little bit. You have to uh, allow for, I think competency comes with a mindset. You have to understand, hey, your child is competent and will not be perfect, right? (laughs) That's your son wants to be. Right. You they're competent but not perfect. So they'll they'll try something and they will make mistakes at it. And once they make that mistake, they'll realize their limitation, whatever that happens to be, and then they they realize when to ask for help. Because if they never come across that limitation, they will never know how to ask or when to ask for help. And so because if you're just jumping in before they have the opportunity, they never have the chance. To figure out hey i you know this is where my limit is and this is my boundary you know where i need to start asking for help because i can't go beyond that on yeah. my own right now but later on you know with help i can stretch the boundary right my my limit grows right so i think you know part of you know that helicopter parenting i don't know whatever you want to call it you well kind yeah now that that bulldozer you know, parenting of this Yep. I'm guilty myself, you know, or I want to jump in and solve the problems before yes. it's a problem. But you kind of have to just let the problems happen yeah. and that's how they learn their boundaries and and learn that you also feel that they are competent and yeah. and that's a, you know, a self-esteem thing for them too.
0: Yes, for them to understand you.
1: that yeah, you and, um, you know, you're giving them the ability to make a mistake and be okay with it.
0: Thank you. Yes, yes. It's what I say all the time. I I think, you know, mistakes are an opportunity to learn. They really are. And so we have to stop shaming and blaming ourselves for the mistakes we make and start saying, okay, how can I do this differently? How can I do it better? How can I, you know? And that's really hard. And it's true when we have a child who's a little bit more geared towards being a perfectionist, it makes it harder because they get their frustration goes skyrockets pretty fast and you want to just jump in and help because you're like, oh, but they're so frustrated. But We think about this from an evolutionary standpoint too. You know, your infant cries, you go and you meet their needs, right? What happens for parents is they get stuck in that brain at times and they're like, well, my child's upset and they're frustrated and they're crying and they're annoyed and they're, you know, "Uh, I gotta jump in. I gotta take care of this. But the truth is that you have to keep asking yourself, what do I do in this moment that's actually going to be most beneficial for my child? Are they safe? Yeah. Are they, um, you know, are they in a complete spiral? No, they're just frustrated. Okay, how do we help them get out of it without actually taking over for them? Because you're right, they don't learn how to ask for help if you're always taking their ability to ask away from them, you know? Exactly. I heard an awesome story once. And it was these parents of an adult child. He was an adult. He was living with them in their in their house. Um, I think he was like 35 or something. And they went to a therapist and they told the therapist all about their adult son. Oh, he's not he's not motivated to get a job, he's not doing this, he's not this. He lives in our house, he's just not motivated, he just doesn't want to take care of himself. He doesn't want to take care of his life. He doesn't want to move forward. Da, 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 da. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And therapist asked them, do you believe your son has a problem? And they said, yes. And he asked them, do you believe, do does he believe he has a problem? And they said, no, we don't think he thinks he has a problem. And he said, why isn't he here? And they said, because he doesn't think he has a problem. Okay. He's right. He doesn't have a problem. You have a problem because you kept taking his problems from him. And he doesn't Mm -hmm. own any of them himself. So one of the most important ways that we can create opportunity for our kids to grow from those mistakes and to learn from those mistakes is to take a step back, create a boundary that says my child is safe, but they're frustrated and let them know, look, I'm here if you want, if you need to ask for some help. I'm here. I think you've got this, you know? Um, And it's really, I mean, obviously, it's a lot more of a nuanced conversation than that, but that's essentially the components to it. Now, if they don't have the knowledge, if they don't have, if they haven't had an opportunity to practice, or if they don't want to, those are the three reasons behind the, I can't do this. I can't. I can't because I don't know how. I can't because I haven't put that knowledge into practice, or I can't because I don't want to. And oftentimes the, I don't want to comes from well, we took care of it for them so often that they no longer have the motivation to do for themselves. So we have to identify when your child is saying, I can't do something, what are, what's happening there? And so sometimes I ask my son, do you know how to do this? Well, yeah, I know how to do it. Okay. Uh, have you practiced it enough? um i mean i've only done it a few times so i'm like okay show me what your practice looks like let him practice let them practice it you know oh this is so frustrating that's right because we don't do things perfectly right right from the start it takes time and practice and it's really important to reinforce that um and then oftentimes my son will be like well i just don't want to i'm like okay So then identifying what they're not motivated to, (laughs) identifying that, oh, they don't have the motivation to do this means you have to figure out what are their intrinsic motivators to get them to do it, you know? And that's really core development pieces. You know, you have to delve into that. I, I can't because I don't want to and meet them where their motivators are. And that'll get them to stop not wanting to do the thing and start trying
1: you know i'm a parent of a young adult as i said um, my oldest son he's um going to be 21 this month actually this weekend yeah. and um you know i find with this um this new generation of of young adults there is a real lack of motivation for a lot of things um you know there's this kind of whatever attitude um you know what they kind of just they're they're free spirits in a little bit of a way more so than kind of my generation <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, there's this lack of motivation that comes from somewhere that if they feel they can't, like you said, if they feel like they either don't know how to do something, they don't want to even try and they definitely don't want to practice at it. Um, so they come to the, I don't want to just, I don't want to do it. And, um, it's hard to determine what was like, what was causing that to be like what was causing them not to have the motivation
0: mm.
1: and um you know it could have been just that you know for so many years we were solving problems for them that they didn't have to encounter problems they didn't have to encounter something that was difficult and so they don't know how to do something that's difficult right. and um that that definitely impacts their ability moving forward as an adult Um, when something difficult does come their way they find excuses not to do it because they just don't want the difficulty they don't know how to handle the difficulty
0: right right you know so
1: it's just something that I'm seeing even in my own family so I thought I'd comment on that since you mentioned it
0: (laughs) so important to, to, to talk about and I know we kind of veered off of the traditional topic of learning but I think this is a really important thing because the key to learning is to be motivated to learn but what I see and the detriment to the tool that technology should have been for us is that it's given us immediate gratification, immediate and and the immediacy of answers. Right? Uh, when I was young, we had to go to the library, go over to the catalog cards, look up the thing, go find the book, look through the book, do all these things. Right? And I hate yeah, saying that when I was young pages
1: to find those ten that would talk about what you
0: want. <laughs> right and and the thing is, though, that that taught us how to become adept at not just learning something new, but seeking out the learning, and it gave us the practice that we needed. So nowadays, knowledge is at our fingertips, literally. You know, you don't know something? Ask Alexa. You don't know something? Google it. You don't know something? Do do do. You know, and. Yeah and now we even have ai programs that will do your homework for you so of course there's no motivation there's no there's less and less need for the motivation to actually look for the opportunities to learn there's less motivation there's less availability to practice the things we don't know or the things we know but haven't put into practice so it takes a lot more than we've ever processed before when it comes to motivating ourselves to come jump outside of our comfort boxes of convenience and do something for ourselves and uh, nothing puts it nothing puts it quite um a cap on it as this uh, you know i did not grow up with gps and i'm guessing you didn't either and my mom taught us how to read maps and she was really good at it and it was great so I can read a map and that said there have been times where I've gotten lost and didn't have a map and didn't have any kind of phone or any device to figure out my way out of it. I just had to follow my innate sense of direction and I just and then when I got lost I was like okay now I guess I just have to pull over and ask for help and what that taught me was that resiliency of like I can't give up because I need to pull myself out of this circumstance. And that is really important and informative for people who are trying to get their kids motivated. It, you, they have to want to be motivated first. And so that's a, such a deep conversation to have because there are so many nuanced ways for it. And one of the things, though, I can say for sure is you will never motivate your child into doing something by telling them you must do this. Yes. Is that is not motivation. Way. It's not motivation, people. No. you cannot- and your that reminds children, me, what? go ahead sorry go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> uh, i was just going to say your children aren't robots right so you can't push a button and get them to do something and that means you can't just tell them to do it and they'll do it you have to find their motivators go ahead
1: yeah and i was just going to say how do you find their motivators so you know in the early years we we do things we based on children's interests right so we try and observe children through observation we look at children we really deeply, you know, observe them, see what they're interested in. And that's how we motivate them to learn anything is through their interests. And I think that goes not it goes well beyond the early years. Because I think about my older son, again, I'll give you that example. He's 21 years old. And uh, he used to play the saxophone in band when he was in high school. And he liked it at the time. And so, you know, me and my husband are like, well, do you want us to buy you a saxophone? Would you be interested in that? And we were going to buy it. And he's like, no, I don't want it. And so we we stopped, thank God. (laughs) We didn't do it. And, uh, you know, just the other day, he's like, you know, I think I might want a saxophone. And I was like, okay, now he's ready. Because we didn't, well, first of all, we didn't force it. We didn't like try to presuppose what he likes and what he doesn't like. We, We went with his interest, right? His interest level at the time. Um, was that no he didn't want to do it recreationally on his own you know he was doing it only in the school environment and that was fine now he's at a point where it's like well you know what now I want to explore it more on my own but I feel if we would have pushed it at that time we would have totally turned him off of it and then he wouldn't have done it and I know that from personal experience because I was a piano player who was forced to play piano in practice and I don't play today because (laughs) of that but today, actually, I look back and go, you know what? I really want to play the piano now. But because at the time I was forced, I didn't really do well. Yeah. Now that I really want to play, you know, yeah. you know I have to relearn it again. So, yeah. um, you know, there's that forcing thing. Forcing will never work. People yeah. have to be motivated by, like you said, intrinsic motivation, something inside you. And I think the first thing to look for is what are your interests? What is the interest at that time for your child? um and Ah. go with that and don't try to put your interests on them you know they have their own set of interests you have to really step away and and really understand what does your child like and not like
0: yes thank you so much for saying that and i love that you added the caveat what are their interests at that time because it fluctuates people it fluctuates That is something that's so important to understand. Interests change over time. And that's okay. If your kid says they want to be a fireman when they're two, they aren't necessarily going to stick with that when they're 16. They may, and that's great, but we need to follow the line of their interests as opposed to trying to push them. Oh, my child is naturally gifted at playing football, so they're going to Be on the football team. I'm gonna push, 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 push. Oh, we paid all this expensive money for you to be on the football team and for you to have all the equipment that you need to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Right? And now you're blaming them for something that they previously, okay, they were naturally gifted at, but two things to point, and then we'll put a cap on this. Um, because this we could talk forever about. (laughs) They have to not just it's great. Sorry, my brain just shorted for a moment there. The best skills the best ability to find what will motivate you for the rest of your life or what you're going to end up doing your purpose for life is two things is one are you naturally gifted at that thing and two are you intrinsically motivated for that thing is it an optimal motivation and if you are if those two measures are there then that's probably going to be the thing but if your child is naturally gifted at something but they don't like it like i felt about math well then you pushing them isn't going to get them to like it anymore and you're just going to end up having a resentful child now if somebody's naturally gifted or or if somebody's intrinsically motivated at something they can actually push their gifting through competency through knowledge practice and practice and practice and practice but that intrinsic motivator that needs to be there first and foremost before anything else yeah that is the ultimate key If you don't have that, you don't have anything else. So, you know, I love that. I love the conversation. We can go on and on about this. You know, I believe life is a a journey of learning and we're never done learning. And if we open ourselves up to the curiosity and exploration of learning, it gives us more opportunities and more wealth of experience than we can ever possibly, you know, imagine for ourselves when we're young. It's just that we have to, as parents, properly encourage it and not try to foster an environment that's um, built of you're the person pushing them to the thing or you're not supporting them in what their desires are. I think that's that's somewhere where I want to go next uh, another time in conversation. But uh, I'd love any last words from you, and then uh, and then we'll end our show today.
1: Oh, I've thoroughly enjoyed being here today. It was so fun um, to talk about education, which is my passion. Um, One thing I didn't mention about myself, which I maybe is now the right time, is I did author a book called "Learn to Play," um, and that is really my passion is teaching. You know, parents of young children, especially. Um, how to engage with their kids. And of course, children learn best through play. So uh, I teach parents how to play with their kids in an effective way that uh, is meaningful for the parent, creates a great bond for the parent and for the child as well. So kind of that's where I want to end off. Um, And, you know, it extends well beyond the early years, as we've just talked about.
0: Absolutely. It's never too late to play. Look, I'm old and I love playing. So oh, never yeah. play. tap back into your childhood self and you will find your your playful side again. So absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. So our, our listeners can can reach out, can maybe get your book and, and learn more about you. Um, so thank you. thank you for being here, Susie. And on that note, happy parenting people and may the evolution of your parenting skills be ever in your favor.